Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, our 200th episode has arrived. I am so excited to do this episode here with you today that I'm not even going to start the podcast by reading a tweet, by asking you a question that's impossible to answer, by making a bad joke, by revealing to you the discography of a bad old umpire. I'm just going to get right into it with you and say hello. We've made it. 200 episodes. How do you feel? You know, I don't know how I feel quite yet. I feel like we're still kind of, we're, we're basking in the afterglow of the, the World Series where we haven't had much time. That's how to you really... feel about the World Series? <laughs> we, uh, we, we haven't, I, I don't know, at least I haven't spent much time reflecting on, on all 199 episodes I listened to all 199 in the last Lord week. knows I crushed them three forgot, times. Speed. For, I forgot the content of I would say probably 75% of them at this point. Most it's of really them are the same. Yes. But anyway, feeling good. Glad to be here. You know, we got some wonderful listener questions that I'm I'm so excited to dive into in this episode. I I know technically speaking, we probably have to discuss the the major baseball event that uh concluded. In the last week, but mm. I think we should just like kind of get that out of the way up top, you know? Yeah, let's get that out of the way up top. <laughs> Atlanta uh, whooped Houston's ass in game six. They thoroughly dominated them. Uh, it was never in doubt. Max Fried was amazing. And I hate to say it because this is going to be at the top of our 200th episode forever, but they earned it. Atlanta, they earned it. Mm-hmm. There might have been points along the way at which other teams could have put an end to their season won't name any specific names but maybe a team in queens could have put an end to their season if they put a little bit more distance between them at the midway point of the regular season however from that point on from the trade deadline on all of those players on the field the coaches on the field the manager brian snicker they earned it so if you're an atlanta fan all complications aside congratulations to you yeah i have to say there was a bit of catharsis in the astros losing and Yuli Gurriel being the final out, at least it's interesting. You know, regardless, I think, of, of who we were rooting for, which I think was neither team, really, I ultimately just like, I think, having a different team come out on top at the end of the year. I think it's generally boring to see the same teams dominate in the postseason, even if you don't think that Atlanta was a particularly dominant team they were an enjoyable team and they knew their strengths and they knew their weaknesses and they made it work for them and you have to tip your cap to that agreed um and now you have to you have to tip your cap to the astros for packing it in and letting star free agent carlos correa walk away because they're too cheap uh that's enough world series chat i think don't don't you agree don't you agree that's yeah that's i think that's about all i have capacity for i guess really quickly shout out to jorge soler that guy is just a joy to watch play baseball because when he connects with the ball, that ball is not coming back. <laughs> sometimes not coming back to the stadium, sometimes maybe not even coming back to the state. The home run that he hit in the first inning of the clincher 
was just one of the hardest hit, most destroyed baseballs I've ever seen in my life. And I have to say, that's a handsome man, Jorge Soler. Not bad to look at. <laughs> nope. Yeah, uh, that that is one of those home runs that, at least in my mind, will will live on as one of the more memorable postseason dingers. It's of kind of last, one of the, of the last only, decade or so. It's one of the only memorable moments throughout this whole postseason, like singular well, yes. moments. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fucking Jorge Soler for the Atlanta Braves. Kansas City Royals legend sure. Jorge Soler. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we have so many questions. Thank you to everybody who submitted a question. Thank you to everyone who submitted a voicemail specifically. Uh, we want to get into all of those and hopefully answer as many as possible. There are a few that we've saved for future episodes. We will let you know about those if we do not get to them for that reason. Uh, but before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. All right, time to jump right in, Alex. If you're new here, if this is your first episode listening to Tipping Pitches, this is not how it usually is. It's we a are doing, weird one for you to be starting <laughs> off with. We are doing a full mailbag episode, just listener questions. Uh, we take listener questions throughout the year on our voicemail line through email, uh, 785-422-5881, pod at gmail.com. Specifically, uh, we started the voicemail segment because we wanted fans to be able to call in and complain about their owners. But... You know, we didn't want to limit it to just that. We didn't want to limit it to people's negative experiences. So we wanted people to ask us anything under the sun. It didn't have to be baseball related. didn't have to be labor related, though it could be. So we have a nice mix of questions here from our lovely listeners. They really did not let us down, Alex. No, we had to think pretty hard about each one of these. Uh, There's a good amount of these that I still don't have an answer for yet. And it's just going to be, you know, we're thinking on our feet here. I like it. The, the listeners are keeping us on our toes. That's what we do. Okay. Uh, you start us off. Pick a question. Uh, all right. Let's start off with a, with a big one. It comes from our good friend, Mets Twitter legend, Richard Staff. <laughs> if every baseball podcaster got together for a massive barehanded brawl to the death, who would win? I didn't have to think for more than two seconds about this one. CC Sabathia would win, bro. He's yeah. a baseball podcaster. I guess technically, yeah. And he's also a Hall of Fame 6'7 baseball pitcher who's absolutely shredded right now. That feels that almost feels not fair to include like like athletes with podcasters. Like I don't think of CC Sabathia as a podcaster. I think of him as I do. fucking CC <laughs> Sabathia. Yes, I know. <laughs> I would like what if you exclude, you know, guys like Sabathia or all the current baseball players who have their their own podcasts because i don't know man like i think we could take, we could take colin we could take colin McHugh. come on yeah bring it on mm-hmm. colin <laughs> no colin would kick our asses um he's a professional athlete i, I don't know what, who what was would, your answer for this one who would win is the the listeners because there'd be fewer baseball podcasts you'd have to sift through that's Ooh. you know one, wow. one or two one or two less that, wow. that you need to keep in your rotation this guy's got jokes you don't have a name, a specific day of someone who would win. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I don't have. I, there are not a lot of great options out there. No shade to all our fellow baseball podcasters, ourselves included. I I I don't think there would be so much of a win as as we'd all just kind of tucker each other out, yeah. and go home. You know, right? Like, is Ben Lindbergh going to come in here and start like throwing chairs? You know, dropping elbows? Probably not. not. Sh- no, although Ben Lindbergh sneaky jacked. Sneaky yeah, jacked, bro. It's true. It's true. So um, maybe there's your dark horse. Yeah, he's a dark horse. But 
The thing about a brawl, barehanded brawl to the death, as Richard said, you just have to be built different. Not to not to speak in memes, but you kind of have to like shut a part part of your brain off and turn a different part of your brain on to win a mm-hmm. barehanded brawl to the death. Yeah, and well, I, I'll will, tell you it, one thing: neither of us have that part of our brain to turn oh, on. Uh, no, absolutely not. It who would win in a barehanded stamina. brawl to Who would win in a barehanded brawl to the death between us? That's what the listeners really want to know. <laughs> I'm not sure they do. <laughs> Probably not me. Um, yeah, I guess I gotta. I mean, whoever out there records like a two or three hour baseball podcast, because I know there are a few of those. Those are honestly probably the guys who who make it through to the end because yeah, they've Stephen got Goldman. The, yeah, exactly. Infinite inning, <laughs> infinite inning, infinite brawl. Stephen Goldman, that's our choice. Okay, next question. Um, one of our most very loyal listeners, Becca, submitted several questions and a voicemail. So let's run through Becca's questions really quickly. And also a quick shout out um, to her for running a half marathon. And she said she plans to listen to this while she runs the half marathon. So we should make this as long as possible. So let's just answer Becca's questions really quickly up top. Uh, this question was alarming to receive, Alex. What is the most amount of caffeine you guys have consumed in one day? My doctor stopped listening to this. <laughs> And also your mom. I don't think your mom's going to stop listening here, but I don't think so. I mean, my answer is probably not going to be as outrageous as yours. It was. It definitely happened at some point during college when yeah. we were running our student newspaper. Um, I was just thinking last night about how there were there were nights where we'd make our Dunkin' Donuts run before they closed. You know, they'd be like, "Oh shit, they close at 10. We should probably get over there to get our iced coffees. Those were some bleak days. Um, Many of those nights turned into also us brewing. Right, exactly. Folgers house blend ground coffee from the red Folgers jar at like two in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's the level that we're talking about here. The level of deep, deep darkness. Yeah. The depths I don't, I don't, with <laughs> which we plumbed. I don't, I don't know that I have a, a, a number, like a like grams of caffeine that's consumed. the thing the more alarming part of this is that i can't point to one day i can yeah. just point to periods in my life with which my caffeine consumption was like more than eight cups per day right days when i'm like you know you walk into think coffee Ugh, god forbid and i will you know, never set and, foot in there again and ask the the barista for like a regular coffee with like three shots in it and the guy's like are you sure no, I need you to understand what you're asking for. There's here. not even a name for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a red eye is one thing, a black eye is another thing, and then three shots? That doesn't even have a yeah, name. This is a, this is a gut punch. <laughs> well, actually, now that we've talked through it, I think that I can point to a specific day, and it is the day that I wrote all 30 pages of my thesis, my undergraduate thesis, and I had three iced red eyes and multiple cups of regular coffee in between it. I wrote it all in, all in one day, 16 hours, sat in the same spot. <laughs> I say this with so much love that it's kind of a miracle that you're sitting here today. It kind of is. And you know yeah. where I got those? This is full circle for this podcast, by the way. You know where I got those iced red eyes? <laughs> I do know where you got them. Madman Espresso, which is where Alex and I used to stop and get iced red eyes before every time that we recorded this podcast at WNYU, which is NYU's radio station. The only free ads we will ever give on this podcast. For the rest frankly, of my life. It's, it's the reason it exists. Yes. I, I think we might have started recording this podcast just so that we could go get the iced red eyes. Right. 
Great question. Thank you, Becca. Uh, Becca also asked for us to power rank our Halloween candies. She didn't say how many Halloween right. candies she wants us to power. So it's like every Halloween candy. I just did three. Um, I'll read them really quickly because none of them are very controversial. Um, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is number three. High Chews, I put as number two. I don't know if that counts as Halloween candy, but it's candy. You could give it to someone for Halloween. Um, and then my number one candy is this might actually be slightly controversial. A hundred grand candy bar. corn. No, not candy corn. Please do not pull me into the candy corn discourse for the love of God. No. No, a 100 grand bar. Okay. People sleep res- on 100 grand bars, bro. They do. I respect that. Thank you. 100 grand bars are good. There's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack. In There's those. layers. It's dense. It's dense. Exactly. It's dense. It has multiple different textures. It has caramel, which I really appreciate. 100 grand bar. It's my number one candy. What about you? It's tough. I have I have like three or, or four at the top of my mind that I think on any given day could probably swap places. I think number three is probably Twix, which I think are, are, are highly underrated, even though I think they're relatively popular. Outstanding candy. It's an outstanding candy. I mean, it's, it's easy to take on the go. It's a very satisfying candy to eat the crunch, you know, can you tell me a candy that's not easy to take on the go? (laughs) Well, I think there are some that like, you know, there's less structural integrity there, oh, right? Okay. The, the fact that it has the like wafer in it lends it, I think, a little uh, some ease of ease of transport per se. There, there, right. you know, I think Reese's, for example, which are which would be second on my oh, list. Because they get smushed. Yeah. Get smushed and they get very melty, right? Like that's, if those things sit in a hot car, it's it's over. Uh, number so one. In the freezer. Number one is... Without a doubt, Milky Ways. Mm. I respect. I respect. I have. It. I have said before to people, and they've said, "Just eat a Snickers." It's no just, Milky Way is better than Snickers. I agree. I think they. You know, they call Twi- for Twix is better than both of them, though. In my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that one. Okay, this is, it's the DH and Milky Ways versus Twix, but you know, is this the point where you admit that you like candy corn to people? You know, <laughs> I've kind of I've kind of softened on candy corn. In, oh, in, the woke in mob the has years. pushed you they off have, candy corn. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the witch hunt. Uh, they they got me. What can I say? You used to be able to like candy corn in this country, Alex, and now you can't. <laughs> I need to bring my boys over. We just have to like turn the lights off and just eat candy corn, so no one sees us. It's it's a travesty. Candy corn's fine. It's not terrible. It's not a great candy either. I, whoever's out here like caping for candy corn as like a, a tier one candy, that's someone you should not trust. Okay, good question. Thank you, Becca. Uh, Alex, I believe that it is now your turn to pick a question. All right, well, we'll just, let's keep it rolling with food because we're here, you know, we're already in that headspace. We got a, we got a couple questions about ballpark food that we will just, uh, we'll, we'll kind of lump together and answer together. Christina asked, about our favorite food we've gotten at a ballpark. MLB Respector asked the same thing. What's the favorite thing we've eaten at a sporting event? And then uh, and then Rubber Guardians threw in our little bonus question, which is, is a hot dog a sandwich? Okay, let's save that one for last. Okay. Please. <laughs> for the love of God. You should have waited till the very end of the episode for this one so that I nobody had is, to hear this. This is the Patreon uh, uh, question. <laughs> favorite food that you've ever gotten at a ballpark. Do you have an answer for this? 
there is one that comes to mind, and that's I was at an A's game in 2012 or 2013 with some high school buddies, and we went. Um, we had uh, partaken in activities prior to the event that would lead to um, an a, an excessive amount of hunger. Mm-hmm. And so we needed something, you know, that was going to wet our our appetites. And we found what might be the best pulled pork sandwich I've ever had at really? at a ba- at a baseball game. I'd certainly, I think, be, you know, you step beyond the walls out into the real world, and you'll find multitudes of foods that are better than that. But I so I like for whatever reason just distinctly remember that. Yeah. And I I also remember that we like got on the big screen. We were doing the Bernie lean. There was no one in the ballpark. We oh were in the God. bleachers. It was you like having the time of your life. It was it was an experience. But the pulled pork sandwich was the the apex of that. So that's probably going to be my answer. So I guess my answer would be the time that I got barbecue when I went to Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City because it was like oh I had just gotten into Kansas City for the first time. First thing we did was boom go straight to the ballpark. And I was very hungry. I wanted barbecue. But then, like, I got better barbecue the next day in San- in Kansas City. So <laughs> is it, like, just that I was excited to be there and hungry and had been driving all day? Or was it actually really that good? I think maybe a combination of both. I remember some very good, this was this past season, some very good pulled pork fries that I got at Petco, mm. which is a move. A, a messy one. Didn't eat those in the seat. Ate those at the table outside the restaurant there. I was kind of doing a tour. We had a whole weekend of games and, you know, it was fun. And they were good. The The Fuku sandwich at City Field is very good, but that feels like cheating because it's like an outside restaurant that just happens to have a sandwich there. Yeah. And it's also like 20% worse than if you got it outside the stadium. You know, like it's yes. been sitting there all day and it's soggy. And I'm like, this is a really good meal that is not as good right now right exactly um just the regular old i have to give a shout out to my to my original regular old chicken tenders and fries from city field they Mm -hmm. execute the chicken tenders and fries better than any other stadium that i've ever been to so shout out city field shout out mets concessions i hope that when i finally make it back to city field they're still as good because i know that these concessions companies cycle through through like two or three year contracts so I hope that it's exactly like I remember. Otherwise, I'm going to be very disappointed when I get there. <laughs> it's been more than two years since I've been to a Mets game at City Field. Wow. Isn't that well, depressing? Well, the food's still good. I can good. confirm that for you. So you can sleep at night. I also have to give a shout out to uh, the the Oracle Park garlic fries, which just which hit different. They do. Garlic fries at a baseball game. You you. I am I think legally you can't eat garlic fries like outside of a baseball game. <laughs> like just socially, I'm not sure it's acceptable to consume that much garlic. Just like it's a lot of garlic. It. It's kind of it's kind of incredible how much they're able to get on there. I love garlic. Um garlic is basically in my blood. I've been e- eating garlic at least in one meal per day since I was like three. Mm-hmm. But they don't they don't always cook it down enough. Like the Dodger Stadium garlic fries overrated. Sorry to our Dodgers fans who love them and who have been eating them since they were children, but I think they're overrated. They don't cook it down enough. The flavor just ends up being too strong. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm soft, but that's just not how I like to consume my garlic. I like it a little bit more roasted, you know? Next you're gonna start saying that pitchers should be able to wear jackets on the base paths. <laughs> okay, Bobby. Okay. 
Um, it's a hot dog a sandwich, Alex. From Over no. Guardians. No, it's not. It is. No, it is not. a sandwich. This is funny. It's funny that somebody wrote in and asked this because we have gotten into so many arguments about this exact question that our group chat with me, Alex, and our significant others is named what is a sandwich question mark mm. that is the title of the group chat yeah that is we were how at a many bar times and ha- spent like two hours discussing arguing. this we didn't come to a consensus either it got really existential and philosophical to be honest mm-hmm. like right. if this isn't a sandwich then what is the meaning of life basically right yeah are we just a sandwich in god's universe the 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 the, the filling to to earth's bread my main thing with is a hot dog a sandwich is that it's meat between two pieces of bread. And people will tell me, no, the bread is connected. And I'm like, well, frequently on a hoagie or a cheesesteak, if you're from Philly or South Jersey, the bread is connected on those. But those are unquestionably sandwiches. Yeah. I and then if the, the bread rips apart, so then you're telling me that it's become a sandwich because it's two separate pieces. This is just the thing that I can't clear. And I've had multiple people be like, well, a hot dog is just its own category. And I'm like, that's silly. Then just, just make everything its own category. Why have categories at all if you just have all these exceptions? <laughs> I think that the 90 degree rotation actually uh, is a lot. There's a lot in there. Yeah, that's why. Because I eat it on its side. And people eat it. Most people eat it with the hot dog facing to the sky. Right. <laughs> I eat it with the bread to the sky. <laughs> you Hot eat dog it like to the you're, side. you're making it a sandwich. I'm like even if it wasn't a sandwich, yeah. Right. No, this is a damn sandwich. Well, I love I love me a sandwich, you know. That's fair. I again, whatever helps you sleep at night. If if turning it on its side makes it a sandwich for you, then it's a, it's a sandwich. It doesn't make me angry anymore like it used to. Mm-hmm. Um I've accepted your views on the world and I've accepted that I can't change them. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what makes us special. Okay. Uh, I think you're up. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take a question from Jane, one of the co-hosts of Batting Around, uh, who has been on this show before. Jane asks, you two used to live together, right? Which one was the worst roommate? Now, Alex, we were asked this question by Jerry Blevins on this podcast when we brought him on to grill him. And we mentioned to him that we had lived together. And he asked he turned us, the tables on us. He did turn the tables on us. He hijacked our interview of him. And we didn't have a great answer for it then. Do you have a better answer for it now? Who do you think was the worst <laughs> no. roommate between us? <laughs> I don't know. I think I, uh, it's hard to distinguish between like how I live now and how I lived like five years ago. You know, I'm like, like I know right now I'm bad at doing dishes. That's just a flaw that I've accepted about myself. I, I, how many as in I therapy let, I let sessions have you up. spent on that one? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's been a lot. <laughs> You've had to learn to love yourself and your failure to wash dishes. <laughs> exactly. I will say I'm very good at the act. I just, I just don't typically uh, do it in a timely fashion, which is, you know, that's it's led to some tension. Um, and so was I like, was I like that in college? I don't, maybe. No, that wasn't the problem. No, 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 that was never a problem. Oh, there was a problem. Oh, oh, what was the problem? No, that was me. Well, that wasn't our problem because neither of us were cooking. Right. We didn't very cook often that much. We were just like buying the cheapest food that we could find to either have delivered or like pick up from the bodega or whatever because I don't know. We weren't treating ourselves well. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. You started cooking a lot more towards the end of when we lived together. Like when we had an apartment. We never cooked in like in our, our dorm, really. Oh, God, no. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that, if I'm being honest. Partially because like having other roommates around in our sophomore year, specifically when we had two people who we didn't know at all, and they just made the place a disaster. That was mess. Yeah. Unsan- truly unsanitary space to live in. Yeah, you kind of have to like wait that a little bit because we were angel roommates in comparison. If you had walked in to there it would have been like you don't need to worry about what's in the vaccine if you've ever been in alex and bobby's dorm sophomore year (laughs) what are those moments um i think that i'm better from like a traditional roommate rubric like i because i like cleaning things like i Mm -hmm. like doing dishes i like you know picking up trash and throwing it away i never leave any of that stuff around because when i get anxious that's just the first thing that i do Mm -hmm. so i think if you were like labeling who was checking off all the boxes that you would be looking for in a random roommate or like a stranger that you didn't know on Craigslist. I think that I would check more of those boxes. Wow. But then I do have some things which are which are maybe a little bit more annoying, like the fact that I just would stay up until like four in the morning. Just like <laughs> that was gonna be the one thing I said. <laughs> playing video games like in <laughs> with the lights on like in the common area or whatever. So if that is the mm-hmm. type of thing that bothers you that a roommate does then maybe I'm not your ideal roommate. But neither of us were like, I think both of us are great roommates. Oh, I think, absolutely. I think anybody I have, I have would no be qualms at all. lucky to share a room with either of us. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. <laughs> anyway, yes, we were both very good good roommates to each other. Clearly, our relationship made it through. Some some friendships don't. Some, That's true. Some roommates, uh, you know, it they come to blows over you know an electric bill and that thankfully that never happened to us do you think any of our previous roommates didn't like us as roommates like do you think any of them were just like man i cannot listen to from under the cork tree another time (laughs) i gotta get out of here uh um i mean my freshman year roommate was i'm not sure he registered my existence that much he was he was having a bit of a tough time i think because he didn't like uh nyu or new york just why he subsequently transferred. Um, so I think I was probably the least of sort of a sort of a tough problems. hurdle to get over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> the the pro- go to New York. The university. most annoying thing, yeah, is that he he wouldn't really. The, the most annoying thing I think probably on his part was he never really left the room, and I would bring people over, and you know because it's college, and you have like just like just like friends, you know. Oh yeah, bringing, bringing people, people over, over to chill. Yeah, yeah. You're the center of attention. Uh, I really wasn't. I didn't have many friends freshman year. You never um, brought me over. I never went to your dorm freshman year. It's true. We didn't know each other freshman year. We met each other at the, really. at the end yeah. of the spring semester was when we started to become friends. Um, exactly. What about the what about the the guy the guys who moved in with their hair gel after I abandoned you and went abroad halfway through our junior year? That was tough. They were not great. <laughs> they were like using my knives and like getting them like somehow getting the handles like discolored. I was like, what are you what are you d- d- using? What is, are you like putting shit on your hands and then cutting? Like, how is this, how is this going to work? They're using spider tack so that they didn't drop the right. knife. Exactly. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Uh, okay. It's up to you to pick a question. Uh, okay. This one comes from Annie. I love this question. What are your guys' favorite and least favorite public transit systems you've used? Wow. So this is so up our alley, particularly particularly your alley, Alex, since you were an urban 
Studies major? Is that what it was called at NYU? I don't even remember. Yeah, metropolitan studies. Metropolitan yeah. studies, yeah. Um what so do you want to take this one first? I have a I have I don't really have a least favorite public transit system that I've used because most of my experience with being frustrated with the public transit system is it not existing. So therefore I haven't used it really. Like LA would be my answer for that. It is one of the most infuriatingly planned cities I have ever set foot in, let alone spent three and a half years living in. Yeah, well, and it's it's tough because I, I know at least for me, I have a very narrow slice of transit systems I've actually used. There are plenty around the world that are considered to be very good that I just, you know, I haven't had the privilege of being able to to ride, right? In uh, in Shanghai, in London, I would love to to check out the tube. I've been on the tube. It's very expensive, but that's just kind of like a through line throughout all of London. That's fair. Yeah. It's very nice, but you understand why it's so nice because you're mm-hmm. paying for it to be that nice every time you ride it. Right. Exactly. I mean, that. Uh, all right. This isn't going to be a very interesting answer. Yeah. But the, the answer best, is the, it's New York. Uh, it's New York. Yeah. <laughs> and And that is largely from the perspective of can it get you anywhere you need to go? And is it, by and large, pretty affordable and <laughs> somewhat consistent? Which is, it's true on, on all accounts. Now, it has been kneecapped by decades of neglect, right? It's a system that is falling apart, but it has the capacity to, to carry the whole city. I think that it's, it's blind spots, I mean, as I said, or it's underfunded and that it doesn't reach out into deeper parts of Brooklyn and especially Queens, right? You can't get around Queens without a car. Um, but so the, the subway system is great. The bus system is incredible, I will say as well. I use the bus a lot. Bus is high key underrated. People sleep on the bus. And people oh, I, sleep I on sleep, the bus. I sleep on the bus, yeah. yeah. Um, no, they, I, that's my answer as well. That is my favorite. Do you have like a, a second place i mean i have used so few public transit systems that i could probably just like rank them you know <laughs> like <Right. laughs> like philadelphia it can get you around and it can get you in from like a suburb pretty well but like once you're there it's not quite as easy to traverse around the area using the subway you might have to take a bus or you might have to walk or you might have to have a car and that's kind of like it's a pretty universal experience among a lot of cities that are not like quite as big as New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other public transit system I've ever really used with regularity was the the bus in Florence, which mm-hmm. was pretty good. It was pretty good. But also yeah. Florence is like a small, basically town. It's like right. a medieval city. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that hard to put like five buses in there and figure mm-hmm. out where you're going. I will say BART in the Bay Area is good if you are in San Francisco. It's great. You can get anywhere you need to go. If you live in one of these surrounding cities, you can't really just rely on BART. I mean, you kind of can. I wonder you can how it came it together to be that with way. us and the <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I wonder. Is there anything to read into there? I'm not sure. <laughs> you want to talk about a system that has been kneecapped by neglect and that's just falling apart and is over capacity. That's 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 the one. So it's a, it's great. The possibility's there. But guys, you gotta you gotta spend money to make money. We know this. This is econ one oh one. 
Quick shout out to the high speed trains in Italy and in Europe. I guess that qualifies as a public transit system. Um, it's just a countrywide public transit system, and you can get from any point to any point in the entire country, from any major city to any other major city in the entire country. And it remains a crime against humanity and civilization that the United States does not have something comparable to the high-speed train systems in Europe. It's an embarrassment, a technological embarrassment. Yes. Well, and this is a good point to bring up, obviously, when Elon Musk's Hyperloop gets built. That will be number one. Yes. That's now, none of us will be around to see it. Right. Elon Musk's consciousness will have been pasted into a Tesla motor vehicle by then, a Tesla truck, but yeah. we won't be around for it. No, our grandchildren will, uh, will be able to enjoy it if the planet hasn't burned yet. Uh, okay, I think it's to you now. All right, let's dig into the voicemails a little bit. We got a bunch of them. We'll alternate back and forth between uh, email and Twitter questions and voicemail questions for the next few. Hello, Alex. Hello, Bobby. Uh, it's Henry again, your friendly neighborhood, George Steinbrenner Stan. Um, I, I wanted to call in to wish you a hearty Mazel Tov on 200 episodes. Um, as I, I think Bobby mentioned one of, a few episodes ago, it's kind of an arbitrary mark, of, as all are, of course, but I don't know. It feels like a huge achievement. And also, I was just, I was thinking about, um, as your kind of milestone approaches how much this show has meant to me in terms of like contextualizing the sport that I really, really love, but feel like I've almost learned too much about from the like ownership and capitalism perspective to derive the same pure enjoyment out of that I used to. Um, and I don't know, far, far be it for me to, uh, not be a sort of like multiple things can be true person, but Historically, I think me and a lot of people watch baseball as a sort of form of escape um, from the drudgery of being stuck working a job, for example, or, uh, you know, doing otherwise unpleasant things. And um, it has sucked, I think, growing up and realizing that a lot of the things that suck about the world also suck about baseball. So without wishing to get too overly gushy, I just want you both to know that I really, truly appreciate the the heart and love that you put into helping me and a whole ton of other people um, navigate the sucky things about the world through the sucky things about baseball in a way that allows us to still enjoy it and still find community and, and happiness around this thing that is so beautiful and happy and wonderful and joyful and international. Um, so I will, as I did last time, uh, again, Mazel Tov, and I'll leave you with a version of what I said last, which is all power to the players, all, all power to the people, and uh, Gary Sanchez, unfortunately, might not be good, actually, but I do still love him. Thank you both. Uh, congratulations. Here's to many more. Henry, thank you so much. This was such a overly nice voicemail. Not, not really a question in here, um, but still amazing to hear, nonetheless, and uh, I, I really, truly appreciate the call. It's very kind. Yeah, and I'm sure we will say this at the end, but you know, there were a there were a, a few different listener messages that that came through talking about kind of what they've what they've gotten out of this show and we'll acknowledge it throughout this episode most likely, but I'll just to say it's you all are very incredibly sweet and it's a joy to come on here every week and and uh spill spill our hearts onto this 
podcast about this sport that we hate to love and love to hate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that stands out about all of the incredibly kind things that people have said is that they just enjoy like that they're able to enjoy hearing someone else talk about baseball in the way that they are thinking about baseball, which is part of why we started this show, right? In that we just didn't hear that many people talking about the game and talking about some of its problems or its um, quirks or the reasons that they love it despite all of that. And so we wanted to have that conversation with each other because we were doing it in our own space like five times a week and wasting a lot of our time and cutting into a lot of time that we should have been sleeping, just arguing about things or discussing things or getting frustrated about things in the baseball world. And for, for the amount of people who wrote in to say, thank you for helping to feel like a part of a community who views baseball this way. It just, it, it, you know, I don't want to get gushy, but it makes me kind of emotional. It's very nice. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Okay. It's your turn to pick a question. Okay, since we we just did one that was a little self congratulatory, let's uh, <laughs> let's do one that roasts us a little bit. This oh. comes from from at quite indeed who asks, uh, has anyone tallied results of your preseason fantasy gift draft? And the answer <laughs> is no. Um, I forgot about that. Well, so let's talk about what results are for the gift right. draft because yes. even while doing it, even when we came up with the idea, and it was just you and me doing it. You know, we joked about who was going to win. And for the first month of the season, we usually pull out some gifts and we link back to the gift draft and the webpage for the gift draft. And we say, oh, it looks like Bobby's team is out in front or, oh, it mm-hmm. looks like, you know, our our guests team is really coming in hot to start this season. This past season, by the way, we absolutely waxed everyone. Yeah, we had Tatis. We had Lindor. We had Otani. We had Devin Williams, which, you know. <laughs> hit or miss uh same with, same with amir garrett like uh. we had soto i mean the the team our team was very very stacked we lost we lost acuna halfway through the year but that's okay so it's really we also picked cody bellinger he hit 190 <laughs> um it's really more about like for the fun of it and for being able to like joke around with our friends online i don't know if there's really an empirical way to decide who creates better gifts and who gets circulated more yeah, well, and I will say this is a task that actually has been made a little harder. Major League Baseball, their the media side of things, used to have a a robust GIF repository that I relied on quite heavily, and that was hosted on their website. And I think a lot of these GIFs were probably automatically generated, um, but they went back years, and they were from every game, and they featured normal plays and reaction GIFs. And just weird shit that happens on the field, gifts from videos that players have done. And unfortunately, that doesn't exist anymore. They've just started posting gifts to their Giphy account, and it's far less comprehensive. And I would say that's just a shame. That's a loss for the culture. I know. They've they've opted to do like their advanced video search function, and they've put way more time mm-hmm. into building that out versus just the MLB.com backslash gifts, which is like kind of 80% of the reason we even did the gift draft to begin with. Right, exactly. Because that, we had a really easy way of looking <laughs> through them all. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, next question. Are you ready? Yeah. Is it time to do the Taylor Swift questions? I guess so. We're kind of, we're we're coming up on the halfway point here, I think. Maybe. A little before. We're doing our best. 
<laughs> we got we to gotta get to them at some point, though. This feels like a good time. Before we do all the Taylor Swift questions, actually, let's just run through just all, it's all the music questions in general. So we have a voicemail here from Abby that I will play very quickly that also kind of roasts us. Hey, fellas, this is Abby from St. Louis. My question for your 200th episode is who picks the music within the episodes? My assumption, based on no facts, just vibes, is that anything kind of indie, hyper-pop, on-campus coffee shop kind of is Alex, and the emo alternative oldies are from Bobby. So, yeah, drop the Tipping Pitches playlist. Congrats on 200 episodes, and I'll hang up and listen. A roast, but I feel like she kind of got it backwards. You think? Low-key. I mean, we dabble all over the place, and right. both that, of our, our tastes I, are incredibly similar. So I played this voicemail out loud for Phoebe yesterday because I thought it was funny how specific it was. The <laughs> indie hyper-pop on-campus coffee shop, just the amount of superlatives that are in there mm-hmm. was very funny. Um, yes. But I don't think that it's quite as much genre-driven as it is like the way that you can tell who chooses the music is if it's anything like newer or like that hasn't quite circulated around yet, that might just be, that might come from someone listening to an entire album all the way through. It's Alex. Cause I don't really listen to music like that anymore. Um, I just, I wish that I did. I just don't carve out enough time in my life for it. So mm-hmm. I choose like, I choose songs that I know that I like already and have not really recently discovered most often. Right. So yeah, your stuff is kind of like, late 90s to like 2015 like and that's the that's the range crowd pleasing but not like not that often played on the radio if that makes right. sense yeah like he's not basic guys don't right. worry exactly i'm like two we layers say, as we as like we five layers proceed deep. to answer like a bunch of taylor swift questions listen critical re-examination is important oh absolutely in the music industry <laughs> um the Jesse asked a similar question, which is how do you all decide on songs for segment transitions or is it whatever you are just feeling in the moment? The answer is it's largely what we're feeling in the moment. Occasionally, when we have a specific themed episode, I might try to include songs that speak to the topic. We, we had a discussion that went deep on, on labor a couple weeks ago, and so I felt somewhat obligated to choose a song or two that spoke to the rich history of labor-oriented music. Sometimes there's just a word that overlaps, you know? It's like, oh, we're doing a podcast where we talked about a lot of money. Let's let's play cash rules everything around me, you know, like. Yeah. I I will say after all these episodes, 200 episodes, this is our 200th episode. We never repeat songs. And for me when I'm choosing the music, I usually choose a musical theme. Like I don't choose multiple songs that don't go together throughout an mm-hmm. episode. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I, I, I'll choose. Like, how do you? How do you? Ch- how do you decide that? How do you just decide what I feel? What, what I feel like? Together? Yeah, what I've been listening. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, no, so no. still just vibes. But no, like I'll choose like Motown for a week, okay. or I'll choose like '80s pop for a week, or I'll choose mm-hmm. like '90s indie, or I'll choose like three different Robin songs. Like you know what I mean? Like it'll be a little bit more. Like I won't just choose the three most recent songs that I listen to. The way that right. I listen to music now is I go through other people's playlists. That they've created. And I'm like, if you like this song enough to put it on a playlist, it's probably a good song. And other people being like my friends or like people who I see post playlists on Twitter or whatever, who I think have good music taste. And I'll find new songs that way. So that that's kind of how I end up picking the songs. Yeah. 
there's a bit of pressure at times, you know, especially because some people have said, oh, really liked the music this week. And it's like, I forgot that people are actually listening to the songs and thinking consciously about about what those songs are. So, you know, we got, we have to keep up appearances. You've put me on to some music just on songs that you've chosen for yes, the podcast, yeah, <laughs> by the way. I'll listen to the song and I'll be like, oh, be like, I want to listen all the way to the end of this song while I'm editing yeah. the episode and I'm like killing too much time listening to like an entire hospital bracelet record. Like, it's <laughs> just like... <laughs> um, yes, but, you know, Abby brings up a good point at the end here, Alex. Drop the Tiving Pitches playlist. It does exist. It does but exist. But you're gatekeeping it because you own the playlist and you haven't updated it since like 2019. It's true. So I have a little work to do, but it seems like there's a little demand for it. At least one person likes it. So, you know. I either... like it. I like it. I want to listen to the Tiving yeah. Pitches playlist. Oh, of course. You can yes. give me edit ability and I can just, I can add them if you want. That's, that's we can, true. We can offline about that. We can offline about this. But uh, yes, we will drop the Tipping Pitches playlist because I got to say, it's it's, it's got good, bangers regardless of i think how we how we pick songs i think at least i try and do ones that are like somewhat upbeat and you can just kind of vibe to you know yeah like, there's not a lot ton of sad Downers. boy yeah even though you know that's kind of like the formational aspect of our music tastes yeah um okay jesse's other question this will open the door the can of worms you could say into the taylor swift conversation jesse's other question was additionally any pre-release thoughts or comments about Red, Taylor's version? Now, I know that you've been prepping a lot for this question. <laughs> did you or did you not listen to Red straight through just to answer this question? Uh, I listened to the first eight songs, yeah. which are arguably the only songs worth listening to off Red. Let's Red is a go. great Takes already half coming of an out. Album. Let's go. <laughs> there, are some, there, are some, there are some duds in there. That's, it's a great album that also happens to feature some of Taylor's uh, hardest songs to listen to, hardest songs to get through. I don't really know why we needed a song with Taylor Swift and the guy from Snow Patrol, but we have it. Nobody knows why. The guy from Snow Patrol doesn't know why he was in that song. He was just like, cash in the check, cash in the check. Mm -hmm. Gary Lightbody. That's his name. (laughs) That's his name. (laughs) I don't know. It's, I have, you don't like everything has changed? Come on. That's a good one. I mean, there's some. I'm not saying there's there's nothing back there, right? I kind of I like Sharon is like my one top forty blind spot. Every it's like he's just like hitting a part of my brain that I don't want to admit likes this thing, but it does like this thing. Every Ed Sheeran song, I'm like, I recognize that this is garbage, but also I'm enjoying (laughs) listening to it. (laughs) Ed Sheeran is is like a is a talented musician. Like he's very good at what he does, and I I just don't particularly. Um, listen. I don't listen to much of his music just because it's not really for me. I also think that his appearance on Red is probably his worst Taylor Swift appearance. He has, I think, two, three. Yeah, he has the one with Future as well. You like right. that one better? Absolutely. That I song mean, is so chaotic. I can't. It's a, it's a it's a it's a great song though. I Ed can't Sheeran also is the worst part of that song. More Future or more Ed Sheeran? Both or neither? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I have I have weird thoughts about the the re-recording, mostly because like it's not like everything is changing, you know, like it's by and large the same album. Yeah. Um it's a, both a business decision and it's also fan service, and I respect that they're leaning into it and Taylor's going to make a lot of money off it and get that bag. But I don't know. I it's, 
I think I, I feel like I may have said this before, maybe even on this podcast, but at what point does kind of the novelty wear off? You know, when she says, okay, I'm re-releasing Taylor Swift and re-releasing Speak Now, right? And it's like her fifth re-release. Is the energy still going to be there? I mean, maybe. Probably among Swifties, yes. Specifically for Red, I'm curious because it's one of the albums where she started doing more like, it wasn't just like chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse. Like there are like, I knew you were trouble and 22, there's like speaking on it. So I'm curious if she's just going to like stick to that specifically or, and, or like try to interpolate it or like recreate it in a different way. Or if it's really going to be like the first few Taylor's versions where it's just like, this is just the song straight up. Yeah. Nothing is, nothing is different. I mean, I imagine that is going to be the case, right? Because right. you want, she wants that kind of continuity, but that's also but why. That feels so rooted in time though. Like, yeah, if somebody put out a song, even if her, her like her newer albums, like off lover and like me and stuff, when they're like doing cheers and chants and shit, I'm like, yeah. this sucks. I don't like this. <laughs> like, but in that moment, I was like, this is still, this is kind of fun. I'm still, I'm enjoying right. it. It's 2012, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to high school. <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying when she's talking over the song in between the, the verses. Like, I, I'm okay with it. But now, is it going to hit the same on the re release? I'm not sure. Yeah. I am like kind of, cu- I'm like genuinely curious to hear the older albums almost more because I think they will sound more different just because her voice has matured so much. Like, what is our song going to sound like? I'm so, I'm so fascinated that song, for, for something like that. Let me just say, that song is Taylor Swift's best song. That and All Too Well are Taylor Swift's best songs. They're tied, 1A and 1B. I, while I don't know that I agree, I, I absolutely respect that. Thank you. They're both very good. Yes. Thanks. Um, speaking of All Too Well, um, Brian also writes in to ask, as we're on the cusp of labor legend Taylor Swift's re-release of Red, this question came to mind. What song are you most excited to hear Taylor's version of from Red or any of the future albums she has planned? So um, I did not look at any of the other future albums she has planned. I only looked at Red because it's a, it's a big ask to look at every single song and decide which ones I'm most excited for. But what, what do you have for this? Is it just all too well? Is that the obvious answer? I'm excited for State of Grace. So yeah. I think that's one of her best songs. I love that song. And so underrated. It's incredibly underrated. It, she like t- decided to do arena rock for one song and then said, I don't ever need to do that again. And I love it. And it's amazing. And I want to hear that again. I think a lot of people don't like that song. Yes, I agree. Because they think it's like, it's like reaching at anthemic, but not actually anthemic. But I yeah. do think that if you're the type of person who listens to an album straight through and that's the first song on it, it sets a definite tone for the rest of the album. For sure. I mean, she has other songs in which she tried to do anthemic on that album, even that just don't don't hit for me. Yeah, Holy Ground. Uh, see, I kind of like Holy Ground. Holy okay. Ground's cool. Okay, Beget, Begin Again's a little weird, but like, it's I like I, Begin Again. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, okay. So sure, and all, all too well. Yeah, okay. My biggest take. Wow, are you gonna no sell all too well right now? I not all too well specifically which is once again one of her best songs i don't know that we need to hear the 10 minute version of all too well i just i have conflicting feelings about it on the one hand it's a piece of taylor history that fans have wanted to hear for years right and it's talked about in hushed tones no one's ever been able to find it 
It's something that kind of lives out there in the ether. It definitely so exists that, on vinyl somewhere, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, it's not just in a Pro Tools session <laughs> at wherever. Who is her record label? Who was her record label? But a part of me also really likes that there's like a piece of this history that will only ever live on in our imaginations. Yeah. Like, once the song is released, then that's it. Then there's no more lore around the 10 minute version of All Too Well. Then we just hear it and we say, oh, it's, yep, it's a. There's all 10 minutes, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible for it to live up to the hype. The hype is absurd. If it lives up to the hype, it'd be like LeBron James, where the hype (laughs) was like, he's going to be the greatest basketball player of all time, and then he actually was, and then then he he was better. And then he was better. Um, That would be insanely impressive. Uh, Really quickly, I I do want to shout out. The song Red, off the album Red, Mm -hmm. is an amazing song. Yeah, I'm excited to hear the re-recorded version of that. And then... If I'm going off red, clean from 1989. Oh, yes. Top five Taylor Swift song. Definitely in more of her like senior, more mature register also. So which is I feel like on a re-record will actually bring more of it out. Yeah. So that would be my choice for a non-red future Taylor's version. I feel like like I don't expect her to make any changes to any of the songs. So I feel like it would just be like us naming like our favorite Taylor Swift songs. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, I really want to hear our song. But I don't. I, I want to hear her do like "Haunted," which is a, a weird space for her, and also a good song. Was Was Wildest Dreams like that much different or better, or like has her voice maturing changed your relationship to that song? I don't no. think so. No, no, no. Which is fine. That's fine. Okay. Th- this question comes from Christina, who we've already read a question with, who who we've already read a question from, but we wanted to pair this with the other Taylor Swift questions. Christina asks, "Very good question. Which Taylor Swift song would you choose as your walk up music?" If you were a baseball player. Now, I'm very excited to see what you chose for this. Am I going first on this one? Yeah, you're going first. End game. Off Reputation featuring the aforementioned future and Ed Sheeran. Please do not play the Ed Sheeran part while I'm walking up to the plate. (laughs) But that song features like her highest highs just as far as like pop crescendos. I mean, that was like, you know, her maximalist pop album. And it's good. I thought about doing Ready For It, but I just think... Ready For It, yeah. Endgame has so much like swagger to it. It's like really, she's kind of playing uh, with her voice a little bit more. And it, I mean, it works. It works. And it hypes me up. I don't know about you, but it hypes me up. What about you? What is your, uh, what's going to be your song? Man, I, I, so when I was initially asked this question, my first thought was got to go off reputation because it's like the most, it's like the loudest explosions, get yourself hyped, get pumped up. But I, I, while I respect the artistic effort and evolution that was Reputation, I don't actually like the album that much. Reputation is such a good album. It's 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 so good. Uh, there's but we don't but you know whatever. There's too much like like musical misdirection on the album for me, where it just doesn't feel like they totally knew what direction any of the songs were going. Anyway, that like there's just random explosions in places that there should not be explosions, in my opinion. Um, I know. I love that. It's like a it's like a look behind the curtain of Taylor. So I wrote down three songs that came to mind. Would you like to hear them? Sure. And as we know, you're allowed to change your walk-up song as much as you want. So as long as I'm sticking to Taylor Swift songs, I could walk up to all three of these songs in a game. The first song is I Don't Want to Live Forever by Taylor Swift and Zane. Arguably the worst Taylor Swift song. Okay. Just a terrible opinion by you. That song absolutely bangs. Uh, Nobody, No Crime. Just because okay. you, you feel like that baseline come in and you feel like a mm-hmm. little, everybody can kind of get behind it a little bit. It's not too flashy, yeah. but 
it it is like groovy Mm -hmm. and then cruel summer that's just like (laughs) nice yeah it's also thematically thematically appropriate the baseball season is a cruel summer for most hitters and fans so that's why i chose that okay good choices i respect 67 percent of those (laughs) you hating i don't want to live forever is so bad it's such a bad opinion I'm sorry. We're not. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this right now. We're going to have to have a Taylor Swift only episode. We could just do a Taylor Swift podcast. Just her whole discography. That is true. Uh, okay. I think it's. I believe it's technically your turn to pick the question. Okay. Well, in that same vein of other podcasts, we could do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw to a very difficult question we received. Hardest question. From our good friend Lauren Walker sure. at Batting Around, who asked us. If you had to do a second podcast, what is the thing with the least amount of mass appeal you could still easily talk about for an hour each week? Can I ask a procedural question about this? Sure. Is Lauren implying, now I, Lauren's not here to answer this question, but in your mind, is Lauren implying that we still have to do the podcast together? Or is it just like individually, what is something that you, Alex Baisley, and then you, Bobby Wagner, could talk about for an hour each week? I mean, I I thought about this question from a personal lens, although I'm yeah, sure that too. you and I could both tap in and uh, not have know, a problem make, sharing. make it work. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna let you answer this one first because I'm still still turning some things over. Okay. So the first couple of things that came to mind. Here's the trouble with this: is that there are a lot of things that I could talk about for an hour each week, but it, that would not satisfy the least mass appeal aspect. Right. That's of an this. interesting wrinkle. Right. Because I could talk about basketball for an hour every week. I could talk about movies for an hour every week. Clearly Taylor Swift. I could like. talk about Taylor Swift for an hour every week. I could talk about, I could do a podcast about the My Chemical Romance discography that just took an hour every week. I could do a podcast about unions for an hour every week easily. But that, not only is that, not only is that kind of mass appeal in a certain way, but it's also kind of just what this podcast is. Right. So I didn't write any of those things. The thing that I could do a very niche very little mass appeal show about for an hour every week is microphones, Alex. I could talk about microphones. I actually knew you were going to say and that. audio and EQ and compression and how to make yourself sound good and how not to make yourself sound good and tips and tricks and advice about microphones and recording every week. Nobody would listen to that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> So I'm not going to do I would. it. I, I would. I would. No, I would you wouldn't. Listen. You don't even listen to this. <laughs> well, occasionally I'm forced to listen to your uh, tirades about audio anyway, so it probably wouldn't be that much that much different. Tirades is such a negative. <laughs> okay, framing tirades of it. Is, a, is, a, is a poor way of framing it. I'm but just it trying usually, to make us both it sound good. Comes up for the people in the context at home of you being frustrated. Who want to listen to the pod? As, as someone who produces audio professionally, this really grinds my gears. <laughs> my answer is going to be equally boring, which I guess is kind of the kind of the point here. Yeah, um, it would probably be something around technology, like browser security <laughs> yeah vpn choice right. you know yeah how to how to torrent um safely right there's probably a little bit of appeal in that although you can probably just go to a reddit thread and find all the answers you need i don't think you need a <laughs> weekly podcast to answer any of these questions for you but i could do it yeah also how long pens. would that last though 
pens like like yeah, that yeah you write pens, with. like quality like, like what you write with like quality it's pens. funny that you say that because i thought about writing that down too so maybe that would yeah. be the one that we do together every right. week hour-long mm-hmm. audio only pen review mm-hmm. we could get like the gel, asmr gel of pens? The, the pen on yeah. the page right exactly get really funky with it mm-hmm. another one that we could do together is how to run a student newspaper <laughs> that's true <laughs> we could talk for an or hour how, or how not to yeah talk about uh, successes and failures yeah mostly successes though we crushed it um <laughs> i appreciate your rose tinted glasses <laughs> um all right are we are we are we good on that thank you i think lauren. i think we're good on that that yeah. was easily the most thought-provoking question that we got thank you lauren mm-hmm. uh i will go to a voicemail for our next question all right, yeah, so guys, it's uh, Dave from Delco, and I was wondering if you think the birds, you know, maybe we should trade to get Nick Foles back. Uh, I'm just kidding around. Uh, my name's Tom Payne, and I wonder, in your ideal baseball world, who would own the league and the team? Would it be the players? Would it be the city in which they uh, are located? Would it be a combination thereof? Please, I'm interested in this. I need to know. Thanks. All right, solidarity. Bye. Yo, Dave from Delco. Thanks for calling. Uh, I was just, aside from the Nick Foles thing, I think maybe the Sixers should just trade Embiid instead of Ben Simmons. I think they should build around Ben Simmons. Uh, maybe we can go down to the Wawa and talk about it. Uh, no, thank you for calling. This is an amazing question. Um, and and leading it with the Delco accent is just phenomenal stuff. Um, Alex, this is like a real meatball right down the middle for you. In your ideal world, who would own the baseball teams? Well, so it it speaks to obviously conversations we've had in the past. We had a whole episode about could fans own a baseball team? The answer is, I mean, in practice, no, but in theory, yes. Who should like who should own the A's, for example? I think I should. I don't have the money to do it, but I think I would I would do pretty well. It might conflict, I realize, with my current standing as the Mets general manager. But I, that's the conversation. I forgot. If, if A Rod can, if A Rod can be in the front office of the Mets and uh, calling Sunday night baseball games, and also that calling Sunday night baseball, I think that's fine. Yeah, right, true. <laughs> I mean, I think our our answer is probably that cities should own the team, and the revenue should be funneled back into cities for non sports related purposes, or for you know youth sports expansion um maybe infrastructure you know can you imagine baseball funding our infrastructure bill not only can i imagine it i think about it often (laughs) probably more often than it is healthy yeah i think i mean i think that's my that's my kind of somewhat boring answer is that you you could probably give it to cities although i'd love i'd love a a baseball workers co-op yeah a team owned by the players it feels like in our world where we expropriate baseball from the private billionaires who own it there's room in there for like one of the teams to still be a workers co-op like some of the teams could be owned by a city some of the teams could be owned by fans some of the teams could be workers co-ops like (laughs) why limit ourselves it doesn't have to be a monopoly anymore it doesn't have to be a cartel like it currently is that's true although it makes it more interesting you know what would we what would this podcast be if the if that was the case with, with baseball well, it sounds like it would be microphone and VPN reviews <laughs> and pens. 
Okay, well, speaking of could fans own a team, this next question comes from at oh, sorry on Twitter. Good handle. Uh, what are your personal top five favorite episodes you've made? This is a very hard question because it's it's hard to have any level of perspective on the episodes that we've made. I guess I would lean more towards the episodes that I've had the most fun making, which often have guests that we've been wanting to talk to for a long time and felt really lucky to talk to for a long time. But I will say one of those five episodes that Alex and I have collectively come up with together is the episode about could fans own a team because it was kind of like the culmination of a lot of conversations we've had on this show about how a lot of the problems that we talk about week in and week out just are rooted in the fact that these billionaires have revenue have revenue at the top of their interests above all other things. And so that was a really fun and rewarding episode to just have a conversation with you about and talk about how we'd like to envision it. And I think that it is also one that it's evergreen enough that we can refer people back to it if they're new listeners do, which from an inside baseball perspective is, is, is helpful and useful for having in our catalog. So what, what other ones did we write down? This is cheating a little bit, uh, but anything we've done with the, with the Doolittle Dolan crew <laughs> is great. We had, we had Aaron Dolan on, Sean Doolittle's partner, before we had on Sean. And I think it was the right call because Aaron was a great guest. Yeah, that was, it remains. That was very early on. That was in our first uh, like six year or so yeah. as a as a podcast. And she graciously came on to talk to us college kids about I don't even know what at this point. We talked a lot about um, like activism from within the baseball sphere, right. I remember, yeah. and like the ways that you can minimize your negative impact while also maximizing your platform but also not burning yourself out i remember it being such a great conversation aaron we had no business asking some of the people on that we asked on and most of them said yes which is really cool um and i feel lucky for even all the way up to when we asked sean to come on and rank his favorite star wars movies which was a lot of fun if you haven't listened to that go back and do it yes that is a great one um i wrote down the dumbest baseball things of 2021 with batting around uh our friends over at batting around that was one of the most in one of the, that was one of the episodes that i when right while we were recording it i was like this is gonna be a great episode everybody is in it they're on the same page we're all having a lot of fun that was not that long ago so most of you have probably heard that already if you haven't go back and check it out and then also check out batting around um thanks to all the batting around people who each individually wrote in questions we're gonna get to stevens in just a minute um i also have another crossover podcast episode that we did which was with the, at the time, co-hosts of the Horse Podcast, uh, Mike Schubert and Eric Silver. And we talked about, we did a cultural exchange between baseball and basketball where we swapped different elements of baseball. We basically traded them among the two different sports. And we said what we wanted to take from basketball and they said what they wanted to take from baseball. They were very silly with it. We were obviously predictably very serious with it. Um, As we tend to be and then what, what's the last one that we wrote down here this year's all gift draft i think that's a kind of a perpetual winner in in our books which i may sound a little uh self-indulgent but i think it has been enjoyable for us not because of what we've done on these podcasts but because we've gotten to bring on some of our friends and engage them in the process and that has made it I think a lot more fun than when it was just you and I going back and forth, just kind of naming players we like. It's always fun to kind of open the floor a bit 
to some of the people in our rotation and and bring them in for a spot here or there. Yes. So that is a great place to start if you're new here and you haven't listened to those episodes. Go check them out. Okay, Alex, I promised we would get to... I mentioned we would get to Steven's question. Steven from Batting Around asks, what was your favorite non-baseball thing that you watched, read, or listened to this year? This is kind of a stumper as well. Yeah, this is uh, this actually was a really tough question because it requires me to take stock of all the culture I've tried my best to consume over the last year, <laughs> which is a, a harder task than one might think. Yeah. As far as listen to, I mean, there's plenty of good music that I've enjoyed in the last year that it's not really worth running through just all the all the albums that I that I liked. I don't think that would be very interesting. It's also this is not a music podcast and you're supposed to say your favorite. Just, Come on. My my single one favorite. Now is that favorite thing I've listened to, favorite thing I've read and favorite thing I've watched or across all three categories, what's the 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 favorite thing that I have I think across all consumed. three categories. I did write three things down, but I just, you know, favorite. You don't need to list every album you listen to. <laughs> okay, well, then I'll cheat and say uh, two things. And one is the the new Turnstile album, which I've just, you know, if you know, you know. <laughs> and uh, and the other is the, the book that I'm reading right now called How to Blow Up a Pipeline about direct action in response to climate change. And why it's time to actually start taking matters into our own hands. So those are probably probably my answer Let's right go. now. So I, that very well that very well could change. I'm also enjoying a current podcast series uh, about the the role that oil companies have done in uh, spreading propaganda to school children. Nice. It's called the ABCs of Big Oil. I encourage you guys to check it out. Again, no no free ads here, but it's a good podcast. So, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's where I am right now. What about you? The two things that I wrote down were The Sopranos, which I watched for the first time this year. It's the greatest TV show ever made. It's iconic. It holds up. It's maybe even aged better than it even felt at the <laughs> it's time. It's aged I pretty think. well. Yeah, um, in terms of its pessimism about American empire and the forces with which you need to fight back against it. And then... Uh, the other thing is I wrote down Mike Duncan's podcast Revolutions, which chronicles the history of all revolutions since the formation of the English monarchy. Uh, I started with the current season, which is still going on. It's insanely comprehensive as a podcast. Um, it's still going on, even though it started over a year and a half ago about the Russian Revolution, which is just a lot of <laughs> a lot of things that I feel like formed my current politics but i don't really know the events that spurred them so uh i've enjoyed that quite a bit i also wrote down sex education which is a phenomenal television show that i enjoyed every single episode of all three seasons i watched this year and then succession i mean succession's amazing oh yeah that's but that's still going on so this is i we're not, we're not going to talk about succession right now because why would we but i i feel like i can't breathe this season it's amazing i'm it's so claustrophobic and i feel suffocated and I love every second of it and I need to like talk about it with my therapist each week after I watch <laughs> an episode. Okay, moving right along. This next question comes from Ksenia. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Please 
DM us if I didn't. Uh, curious about your opinions on proposals at sporting events. Is it cute, cheesy? Have you ever witnessed one? Uh, I've never witnessed one. I don't have as strong opinion on this as some people seem to out in the world. Uh, some people are like, if you propose at a sporting event, you should be publicly ridiculed and have tomatoes thrown at you for eight days straight. Um, I think that if you're going to do it, it better be because you have a serious relationship to the team and the stadium with the person that you're proposing to. Like you met them at a Mets game or you go to Mets games all of the time. And that is a core part of your relationship and the things that you like to do. Don't just do it for the attention. That is my take. I think you probably feel similarly. Feel very similarly. I just I can't imagine wanting to really share that moment with forty thousand people, or if no. you're in an A's game, like seven thousand people. I just I don't think that if would you're be. You're in a Rays uh, game, like two thousand people. <laughs> I just I don't know. That's a very I mean, people feel differently about these sort of things. For they, just, I get the sense that that's a very intimate moment. And uh, I don't know. Do you want that filmed and be put on a big screen? Also. I hope you've talked with your partner about this ahead of time. I hope yeah. they know it's coming. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot to just kind of put on someone who has no clue what's about to go down, right? You know, they're shoving a hot dog in their face and all of a sudden you're down on one knee. It's like, if you right, haven't well, let me talked finish about my garlic it fries. and you don't know for 100% certain that this is something <laughs> that they would want, it's straight yeah. up manipulative because how does that person say no to that? Yes, exa- that exactly. Yeah. In front of 40,000 people, that's that's not cool. Yeah, it's not really fair. Uh, okay, next question. I'll go to a voicemail for this one. Hi, Allison, Bobby. Uh, it's Kieran here. Uh, I'm just calling with a question about Shohei Otani. Um, so I think we can all agree that it's time to dispense with the comps to Babe Ruth, considering once Babe Ruth became a power hitter, he was more or less done pitching. So I wanted to know if either of you guys have any appropriate comps of athletes maybe from other sports that you might be familiar with that are appropriate for Shohei Otani? Because I honestly cannot think of one. I really think that he's like in a league of his own and there's just no other athlete like him. So let me know what you guys think. I also have an idea for a name for the tipping pitches hive. Uh, it's a little bit esoteric, but I know you guys are into that. I was thinking about, uh, Baisley's Brigade. So, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Thanks. Bye. Karen, Baisley is only one wow. of us. Come on. Wow. What the hell? I'm really hurt True by colors this. shown here. Come on. What the hell? Um, <laughs> anyway, do I have a comp for what Shohei Otani is doing? Kind of. The, the thing, the person that I thought of was Michael Phelps because he dominated several different Olympics doing s- different strokes. Like, I think it's hard to compare a- an athlete in another sport unless they're doing something that is similarly, that that requires a similarly um, vast set of skills. And I think that, like, the butterfly stroke is nothing like freestyle, is nothing like backstroke. And what Michael Phelps did at the 08 and 2012 Olympics where he just won in all different kind of strokes seems to me like uh, comparable to what Otani is doing. That's a good answer. I don't know that I have a, I have a better one than that. The, the, the closest comps I was going to think of are the obvious like multi-sport 
athletes, right? But that's not even a really, you know, that's not a one-to-one comparison because these are still different skill sets. Deion Sanders being able to play football and baseball is not the same as him being able to, uh, you know, shut down the shut down the field as a wide receiver and also be a quarterback, right? Like those are still within the same sport. It's still very, there are transferable skills to other sports, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have the ability to be versatile within your same sport. So it's hard. And and that's one of the reasons why Shohei Otani is so singularly amazing. I do think there are some interesting comps in places like the Negro Leagues. That's where you, there actually are some two-way players that we saw guys like martin dehigo uh but still i that remains in baseball and shohei watani is still i i don't know i he's been in the league for a few years now and i still don't really know how to comprehend what he's doing and i think that says something yeah and i mean the only other person that i can think of is again another olympic athlete simone biles who Mm -hmm. just dominated almost every gymnastics category it's just like people who Get you when you get to that high of a level of a sport, you have to concentrate on one thing, and these people just did not. Um, I guess another person that I might think of is like Serena Williams, and maybe this is just because I just saw King Richard last night. But uh, for Serena and Venus Williams to be able to dominate in singles and doubles together, I guess is kind of close to what Otani does, but it's like the two versions of the, your sport, but. Even then, it's like you're still playing tennis. Like it's still similar rules. It's not completely different sides of the ball in the way that it is in baseball. I don't know, but those mm-hmm. would be the ones that come to mind. You know, what I'll say the last one uh, who I think of is Jim Thorpe, who is not a incredibly well known athlete yeah, in history. Jim, Jim Thorpe hours, yeah, <laughs> Pennsylvania legend. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's one of the most versatile athletes of all time of all time right i mean who could participate in 10 different track and field events and be the best at all of them right he he played football he played baseball i his legend is i think not properly recognized he doesn't get his due in sports history in part because you know i mean he existed at the turn of the at the at the start of the 20th century and we don't tend to have a great grasp on players. And, and also, he's Native American. And I think that as a result, his story kind of gets pushed under the rug a little bit, which is unfair to him because he remains one of the, one of the best athletes of the 20th century. Agreed. Okay, uh, let's move on. Your turn to pick a question. Okay. Uh, here's, a, here's a question that's, that, that we got. Uh, this is from Daniel. He says, I think you guys could do a good partner segment your friends at batting around what star wars characters do you think fuck good god i think the real question here is which ones don't because there are probably so (laughs) many that do right like yeah i did put a little bit of thought into this though all right let's hit me kind of mulling it over hit me there's some there's some easy ones and then there's some dark horse candidates uh you know who does not fuck good who sebulba True. There, I actually, as I was kind of thinking about this, I did come across a lot of Star Wars characters who I'm certain do not fuck good, or um, at all, even like, right, or at or at all. Yeah, General Grievous uh, does not fuck. <laughs> Poe Dameron fucks. Yeah, I'll tell you that much. Obviously, <laughs> no obviously. doubt. Obviously, uh, <laughs> uh, Lando, Lando Calrissian fucks. 
and even more now that he's being played by uh donald glover like right it was like the original lando was like all right he's hot kind of like cult cult icon and now they just like leaned all the way into that with the newest version of him where it's just like Mm -hmm. the whole thing is that this guy fucks all he does is fuck he doesn't run anything else efficiently he just fucks (laughs) yeah um Big Starklighter, who is um, a, a lesser known in the Star Wars canon, but is one of one of Luke Skywalker's best friends growing up. This man has the stash to end all stashes. He, I'm, I'm not going to use words that you would have to bleep me out for, but I'll just say this guy is... is Keep it together, Alex. Get, is getting it on the weekends. And then, and then Leia fucks, if we're being quite honest. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. What about you? Who did I miss? Mandalorian. He fucks. Yeah. But like, do you think so? Is that, does that go against Mandalorian code? This is not like, does this person actually have sex? It's like, <laughs> this is more like, <laughs> do they fuck? I don't know how to explain the difference. Really? Well, I, I took it as like, who is like, actually, who's, who's good in bed? You know? Like, does this guy like, really? Is he like, you know? If you ever get to that point with Mandalorian, packing? it's a definite yes. That's that's true. If you ever get <laughs> you there, might have to get him never to let abandon anyone... his religion. But if you did, <laughs> it'll be worth it. <laughs> okay, I agree with that. Is that all we've got? Ah- we, Ahsoka we, Tano. Yeah, Ahsoka Tano, obviously, and the one person we have not said who I think would be the number one draft pick if you pulled like at, like normal people or every Star Wars fan in the world. The answer you would get is Han Solo. Yeah, which I kind of disagree with. I Ooh. it feels like there's a little bit of overcompensating going on there. That's well, just my that's my opinion. I think that the problem is just like we know that Harrison Ford has just been hot in so many roles. <laughs> yeah. That we're just like even though he is kind of corny as Han Solo and even though the character probably doesn't fuck it's very hard to imagine him as anything but just Harrison Ford. Right. Yeah. We can both who, ag- who we can both fuck. agree that Luke is the virginist character oh, in my all goodness. of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, what is Luke Skywalker's pickup line? Hey, want to blow up the Death Star? That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you ever done pod racing? <laughs> uh, okay. Great question, Daniel. Thank you. I'm going to put an end to this one because for the love of God, we just can't. We can't keep going down this rabbit hole. Um, all right, next question comes from Jesse. I'm a recent-ish listener, and I was curious about y'all's history with thinking and talking about labor. Also, y'all kind of joked about talking about your theses, but I would really enjoy hearing you talk about that. Alex, what's your history with labor? You've, you've been it? <laughs> <laughs> Work. I've, I've worked a wage job. <laughs> First-hand experience? I don't know. I would say a lot of it kind of materialized... Um, in the last four or five years or so, probably in concert with this podcast. I think doing this and and having these conversations with you week in and week out has done a lot to to develop my awareness uh, of that. Um, going to NYU and seeing the work of, for example, the Grad Students Union, yeah, I think sure. also really, really bolstered my understanding of like union power. Fundamental text. W- right, exactly. <laughs> and the ways in- story. In in which businesses, corporations try and and suppress them. So I would say that actually is pretty fundamental, even though I think at the time I maybe didn't realize it. Well, it was so powerful because it's like 
you're also changing your opinion on like the rest of the world at large. And then Mm -hmm. when you put it in the micro sense, you know that you're paying $70,000 a year or like whatever you're paying after your scholarships and loans or whatever. You know that you're paying all that money. And then the people who are actually teaching you on a day in and day out basis are getting how much of that? Mm -hmm. How much of that is going towards the endowment how much of that is going towards the president's five million dollar salary how much of that is going towards a million dollar celebrity professor yeah that was definitely a fundamental text for me it's similar um i'm glad that you singled out this this podcast on our political and labor journey makes me feel so proud to be a part of it uh i will also say that i formed a union if you follow me on twitter you probably know this that i was a part of the organizing efforts at the ringer so i am a writers guild member um that was needless to say a very important part of my history and evolution and thinking and talking about labor and ever since i've become you know part of more union social circles um i've just started to care a lot more about like the wider labor industry the wider um state of unions in america and online content writing journalism around the labor industry has also helped progress me a lot in that way. Uh, Alex, what did you write your thesis about? (laughs) A lot of climate change talk in this podcast. I wrote it about how oil drilling in the Gulf Coast is leading to the destruction of the marshlands uh, that along Louisiana and is quite literally drowning New Orleans. And the the ways in which it is literally sinking, sinking into the ocean. And uh and how complicit we are in that. So it was an it was an upper. I had a really great time researching it. Yeah. Made me feel very good about the state of things. Right. Um, as I mentioned already in this podcast, the day that I consumed the most caffeine in my life was the day that I wrote my thesis. That thesis was about the ways in which we use public space as it pertains to sports within New York City and specifically the places that they put recreational basketball courts, which seems very specific, but I I wrote a lot about how, I think I wrote a lot about this because I never reread it because <laughs> I had to write it all in 16 hours, um, but I got an A, so it, it must have been worthwhile. Um, I just wrote about how the ways in which we invest in certain public spaces and the reasoning behind putting sports facilities in certain places and which areas are more served versus which areas are underserved and um, the resulting cultural ripple effects of both famous and accessible basketball courts in New York City. Fuck yeah. Would read. 10 out of 10. I don't know if you would read it. I don't know if I would read it. I, I, I don't know if I can find it. I'm not sure that it exists That's anymore. <laughs> I would read I would read yours too. That sounds Thanks. right up our alley. I wonder how we became such good friends. Yeah. All right. I think uh I think it's back to me to pick another another question. Let's um uh, let's throw it to our our good buddy Austin. He's been on this podcast before and uh and wrote in to ask us Shadow producer plant question. What is the coolest thing you ever did as a baseball player? I have two answers for this. Okay, go. Both of them came in Little League uh, Mm -hmm. because by the time I got to high school, I stopped playing baseball because my 
high school was very, very focused on basketball. And in order to make the basketball team, you really had to do it all year round. Just another example of youth sports taking over young children's lives. Uh, two answers. Number one, I hit a home run off my best friend in Little League. Amazing feeling. Recommend it for everybody. I can hold that over him for the rest of my life. I could text him right now and he would be mad. Uh, and then the second thing is I had a dueling no-hitter in travel ball that lasted into the fifth inning and I broke up the other guy's no-hitter as a batter, which is another reason why pitchers should hit, Alex. Um, right. Because you. You, yes. are, you are exhibit A. Right. I did not complete the no-hitter, but I got close. Five complete innings. Those are my two. That's good. That, I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's only a couple innings away from a, a you know a double header no hitter, right? You were right there with Mad Bum. But in Little League, you only play six innings, so I was only one inning away. That's true. You're right. Yeah. Heartbreaking. I was pissed. Yeah, it's tough. Tough. They tough tried to pull some shenanigans. Actually, by the way, they tried to say that my pitch count was higher than it actually was, so they tried to get me pulled out. It was like a ten minute delay while they argued about the pitch counts. They had to check with the umpire. They had to check with the field. It was a whole thing. I was really mad. Oh yeah, I forgot that like pitch counts were like a thing that mattered. Yeah, seventy five is the max, I think. Right. I was just throwing fastballs down the middle every time. <laughs> it's a real power pitcher challenging him. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple as, as well. Um, I you know. It's really only a couple because I was, I was not a very good baseball player. That's why I'm not a baseball player today. Um, I did, uh, when I was like 12, I struck out the, the league's power hitter with just a, with just a goofy Bugs Bunny curveball that, that brought cool. him to his knees. And uh, I feel pretty fucking good about that. I'm not going to lie. That was kind of one of those things <laughs> where I'm like... <laughs> Let's uh, go. Yeah. No, bro. Yeah, this is the dude who, who annihilates every... Every pitcher he faces, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I get up there as the relief pitcher. I come in. I have, you know, big, big moment, yeah. a, a high, high leverage moment. And I come Jacob in and get us out of the inning. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Quite literally. Yes. Amazing. And, uh, and I, uh, I played in a, a perfect game. I played second base in a perfect game. Oh, cool. Um, it was really cool. You know what I didn't do? Touch the ball once. You didn't make a single out? Uh, just the ball never came to me at second base at second base how many innings was this seven uh, or nine this was this was high school so i guess it would have been seven interesting wow a lot of strikeouts in that three true but outcomes was, but, <laughs> right yeah but i was there you know i got to celebrate yeah that's fun. cool that's cool it's memorable Sticking on the theme of stuff that happened while we played baseball, Dawson asks, what's the best dugout or clubhouse prank you've ever pulled off and or witnessed? Um, Dawson has another question I'll get to in a second, but I don't really have a good answer for this. I wasn't much of a prankster. I'll just tell a story of when I was in middle school. Um, I was just a, I was a pitcher and so I, and I was a starter. So I only played like once every three games basically. And so on the other two games, I wasn't that great of a hitter by that point. Uh, probably needed to be wearing glasses. Didn't start wearing glasses until high school. <laughs> Might have had an effect on my ability to pick up pitches and hit them. Um, I used to just sit there with my friends who also were not playing and we used to take sunflower seeds and try to shoot them into other people's batting helmets like from all, one side of the bench to the other side of the bench. And so when they would put their helmet on, sunflower seeds would fall all over their face. <laughs> <laughs> Why? So, 
was the, the shooting them into the helmet that was just like a game for you guys because it would have been very easy to just like pour the bag and no it was a game. helmet you know we okay. also this is a little bit a little bit grosser but we sometimes would try to spit them into the other people's <laughs> helmets Christ. young boys are disgusting yep I'm absolutely say that all right what's what's your answer here do you have one i apologize dawson i don't have a good answer i was not a um i was i was not really a a, a jokester I feel like when you're uh, when you're second string, you don't really. There's not a ton of uh, uh, cachet that you can throw around to, you know, pull clubhouse pranks. That means you have to answer Dawson's second question, which is, "How did you come up with the idea for this podcast?" It's exactly what I would have done with my best friend if we had thought of it first. <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer to this that we tell everyone and that is true which is why we tell it to everyone, uh, is that we would spend long hours of the night coming back from the, the newspaper, or even not coming back from the student newspaper. Just, you know, it's just 1 a.m. and neither of us really wants to finish our schoolwork. And so we would uh, just kind of, usually it was you coming into my room and just kind of standing in the doorway. Pacing back and forth. Pacing back and forth. I'm kind of like, yeah, I have class really early in the morning. Wow. I'm just, but I'm just going to let him go. Wow. <laughs> No, uh, we would talk for hours and it was, it was really inhibiting our ability to get other things done like, you know, sleep or once, as I mentioned, schoolwork. And we said, why don't we codify this a little bit more and just like set a, a designated time each week where we just <laughs> get it out of our system and then we don't have to put up with any of this shit anymore. And then the rest of the time we can argue about whether hot dogs are sandwiches or not. Right. Ex- exactly. That's the bonus content. And what the best Taylor Swift song is. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good answer. Okay, we are we're running very low on time. Let's move on to a question from Greta. Greta asks, "What can MLB do to help get more women into baseball as GM, scouts, umps, coaches, etc.?" This is obviously a really big question, and there's also a certain irony in two men having this conversation about how to uh, how to open the gates a little more. So I'm, you know, up top going to say that I certainly don't have all the answers for this. And it's, it's something we have, we've had discussions with other folks about on this show before. Yeah. And I, I'd hope we will continue to have these conversations. Um, we had on RB Butcher, uh, I think earlier this year, late last year. Yeah. Part of the series that we did with people asking what would they would do if they were a commissioner. We had Jenny Searle, we had yeah. uh, Randy Wilkins, a couple other people. Yeah. Yeah. And and they gave some really good, really thoughtful responses on how to reduce the the gatekeeping that happens in baseball to uh, you know, non cis men. I think it's as much cultural as it is structural. You know, there are obvious like like literal barriers in in, you know, not seeing women playing baseball and we've talked about that before but i think it's it leans far more on the culture that is is frankly not very welcoming to women in baseball and that has to change and that you know that speaks to some players conduct uh that speaks to that speaks to the general conservative nature of the sport and its fandom. It speaks to the, the criticism, for example, that say female broadcasters receive or, or female coaches. And obviously there are strides that have been made in these spaces, but there's a reason that they are, are few and far between. 
and that there hasn't been a, you know, a breaking of the levees. And it's not because there aren't talented women out there who are more than capable of thriving in these roles, right? We saw Kim Ng get hired as the Marlins GM, and it took her 20 years to, to do that. That's a job that she was capable of doing for 20 years and was, was talked about 20 years ago. And, and still, there was a, you know, a black mark on her name solely because of her gender. So I think it has as much to do with the mindset of people who work in and around baseball than anything else. And that's, that's not a, a very satisfying answer, and there's not even a lot actionable there. But it starts from, from the ground up. It starts from places like Little League, right? It starts in conversations you have about baseball with other people. There's a long road ahead, that's for sure. I agree with everything you said, and I want to add, if there's something that is actionable, it's that I think that MLB needs to shift its view on what its responsibility is on affecting change at the Little League and youth level. They just kind of, they, they lean in as much with youth baseball as they feel like is net, as beneficial to them. They don't really lean in to try to help steer the direction of the game enough. Like, they're fine with perfect game taking over and making it more exclusionary towards people from uh, a more disadvantaged background. They're fine with the stark dichotomy of baseball and softball from a young age that steers that steers girls away from baseball, frankly. Um, the existence of softball and the way that it's thought of in the cultural in the culture of the baseball world means that it's very hard for people who are not cis men to get into the sport of baseball at a young age. And what do we talk about all the time? The reason that we love the game so much is because of the nostalgia of it, remembering playing it, remembering watching it growing up. And if you gatekeep that from such a young age, you're already predetermining who your ideal fan is. And I think MLB doesn't care about that really. Like I think that they are fine viewing the ideal fan as like an over 50 white guy because it's comfortable for them. And I think they need to be okay with getting a little bit more comfortable. And that starts at a younger age. Yes. Agreed. This is, this is not the end of this conversation. Um, there's, there's plenty more to dissect here that is probably not appropriate to get into in a, on a, you know, a goofy mailbag uh, episode. But I appreciate, Greta, you asking this um, because it's a question that doesn't come up often enough. All right. We only have time for a couple more. There are a lot more here that we wanted to get to that and then there are even more that we wrote down on the list but decided to hold for future episodes to answer either in a longer segment or potentially as a whole episode discussion because they were good ideas or about larger topics that warranted uh, a deeper discussion so let's just do one or two more alex Hi, Alex and Bobby. This is Alexander from D.C. Um, I lived in Winnipeg and Seattle as a kid before uh, mostly growing up in the Dallas area. Uh, but because the Rangers were both really bad and impossible to see in person without dying of heat stroke, I never really had a team. Um, call myself a Camden Yards fan. And I'm pretty content to just cheer for specific players, especially Shohei Otani. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, which five-ish teams would you consider to be the most rewarding to be a fan of? And uh, which five-ish would you consider to be, like, the hardest to cheer for? Um, you know, usual stuff, love the pod, uh, keep up the good work, and uh, congrats on 200. Usual stuff, love the pod. Usual stuff, love the pod. 
I'm going to start signing off with that. Usual stuff, Alex. Thanks for listening to the pod. Uh, <laughs> five, five at the top and five at the bottom is slightly too many. That's like a third of the league. But we could do like two or three at the top. Who are the two or three most rewarding teams to be a fan of? What did you write down? Most rewarding teams. You can, you can obviously interpret this in, in various ways. I think unequivocally, uh, the Dodgers. Yep. It's a rewarding team to watch. It's kind of no question. As of the past year, the Padres. I think that's another very rewarding team to watch. Two despite, for two. Right. Regardless of successes on field, I, I think that plays a role, but it is not the primary factor, right? A team that tries is more interesting than I think one that just kind of just, you know, I mean, just because the Rays won 100 games doesn't mean they're the most rewarding team to watch in baseball. Um, and then, honestly, I wrote down the Astros. Wow. I think regardless of personal feelings towards them, Astros fans sure seem to love that team. And over the last few years, they have managed to really build up a pretty darn good core of players. Now that remains to be seen what that looks like after this offseason. Does Carlos Correa stick around? Who knows? They just got word about the contract they offered him. This is not the news-breaking podcast. But I think, by and large, they are an extremely good baseball team that it has seems like they are not afraid to kind of go all in. That's my answer. What about you? I bristle a little bit at the Astros because of how they've basically been a little bit self-defeating about guys who are coming up for free agency. Like, it already happened with Garrett Cole. They've already proven that that is their organizational philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, I wrote the Yankees. <laughs> Because the number one thing that I think is rewarding about being a Yankees fan, aside from all of the times they have actually won, is how organizationally frustrated they feel for having not won since 2009. Mm -hmm. I think most other organizations would say, get off our back a little bit. We won in 2009. And I think the Yankees would say, you guys are right. We haven't won since 2009. That's the reason Mm -hmm. that I would add them into the mix there. The bottom, um, I only wrote two. The bottom two I wrote are Cleveland and Miami. Cleveland because their player development has actually been phenomenal in the last decade, but they are too cheap to keep any of them around. Uh, so they end up trading them away. And the whole the shenanigans about changing the name was absurd and indefensible. Um, Charles Dolan is an idiot. All of that stuff that we've talked about a million times. Uh, and then because they got so close and then they systematically dismantled the team by not wanting to pay for it, I think that it is a special type of not rewarding. And then for Miami, the payroll and the crying poor and the different changes of hand of ownership in the last 15 years. Now, they won two World Series uh, very early on in 97 and 2003. But I I think since then, it's frustrating and not that rewarding in terms of what they've given back on a day-in and day-out level. Like, the stadium is, is... weird and indoors and even some of the quirky things that they like about the stadium like the home runs sculpture they take it down it's just like it doesn't really seem like the fans are that big a part of the experience if part of the experience at all yeah i agree i wrote the marlins down as well not because again it really has very little to do with success of the team uh or who their players are because again they have a they have a fun baseball team, but it's really a lot of the baggage that they carry. I also wrote down, as of late, the Cubs. 
I don't think the Cubs are a very rewarding team to watch these days. They very well could be. And in previous years, they have been. And the, the, the Ricketts are doing their best to turn that on its head. Um, I, I wrote down the, the Mariners, which I, I, I don't know how I feel about, but I think that's just a really tortured fan base that probably deserves better. And while I think they're a very fun team to watch, there's, it's a, it can be brutal at times. And uh, and I think also the Mets are are hit or miss. You could you could you could place them on this list, and I won't speak for you as the resident Mets fan here. They are very rewarding to watch at sometimes, and I wonder if that outweighs the 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 bumbling nature of their franchise. I don't know. You know, I'm wondering that as well. Uh, <laughs> the part that is rewarding about Mets fandom is like the community with the other Mets fans, right? Mets fans are good. They're good fans. Yeah. And they show up mm-hmm. to the ballpark and they make a lot of noise and uh, no matter what the organization does to them. And I find that rewarding. But I have also chosen to compartmentalize the different parts of my Mets fandom so that it doesn't actually crush my soul every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people might call this Stockholm, fan- Stockholm syndrome. Other people might call it being a Mets fan. Yeah. Um, I guess in the sense that every night when I go to bed and every morning when I wake up, one of the thoughts that I have is, will I die without seeing my team win a World Series? I guess in that sense, it's not that rewarding. But when they do, if they do, maybe they won't, maybe they will. It's going to feel pretty damn rewarding. Yeah, when that euphoria hits. Yep, absolutely. I think that's all we have time for because we're going to be over two hours if we keep going and we might even be over two hours as it stands. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Owen, Alex, Destin, Gavin. Zach, Dave, William, Rob, Liz, Max, and a different Alex. So many Alexes. Did you bring the Alex Hive into the podcast? Do you have like a group? You guys have a group yeah, chat? I did, I did drop it in the group chat. and was like, yo, I need y'all to show out for this. <laughs> no Bobbies asking questions. What the hell? <laughs> now you don't see that many Bobbies out there these days. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to all of them because we didn't get to their questions. Several of those we will save for, like I said, the longer conversations longer answers a couple of them we will include in our voicemails um, regular listener question segments next week but thank you all so much and thank you to everybody whose questions we did answer thank you so much for the incredibly kind words about the show that many if not all of you included in your messages and like i said at the beginning and after we got that one voicemail it means the world that um the way that we view baseball and the way that we talk about baseball and think about it in relation to the larger world that we're forced to be a part of every day um, is enough to build community around. So 200 episodes, we did it. Will you commit right here to 200 more? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need to talk to my agent. Right. There may have to be some opt-outs built in. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like after a hundred, after one fifty, I have a specific opt out built in, uh, a mutual option built in for after the Mets win the World Series. If they win the World Series, I want to reserve the right to just be like, I'm done. I'm done with baseball. <laughs> period. No more baseball podcast. So not even opt out from the podcast, but opt out from the, the sport. Game. You're like, yeah, this sport. is this right. is. I'm done with baseball. I'm getting I got into everything tennis. I came here for. Time to s- shift my focus to tennis. Tennis is good. I agree way better than baseball <laughs> the last thing that i will uh i will say 
before we get out of here and let the rest of you uh, enjoy your your afternoon, your evening, or if you're Becca, your your run, I want to read off Zach, who who we we put out a call for were what tipping pitchers listeners should be called. Right, right, true. We we did not actually get as many as I would have hoped for, and frankly, that's that's on you guys. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. We put the call out there. Zach you just came have to in get louder in October. And that's the reason that we got <laughs> exactly. eliminated from the postseason. Zach came in. This one's good and kind of threw the gauntlet down. I'm not going to lie. This might be my front runner so far. Podcast podcast listener names. I feel like we need to we need to play off unions here, right? Like the tipsters feels obvious, right? Or something excessively long, like the United Tipping Pitches listeners of the internet, which is hilarious. I so true. Tipsters sounds a little bit too much like people who write into the New York Times. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like United Tipping Pitches listeners of the internet, UTPLI. It has to be an acronym, though, because I'm not right. reading UTPLI every time. So maybe, or I, maybe it's just UTPL, but that's not an acronym either. So we, we can, we can no. workshop it, but that's a good starting point. Yeah. Well, you know, like the like the auto workers union. It's like it's it's UAW, right? No one's out there like ow 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 ow. We're literally making noises. We have to end the podcast. This is this is tough. Yeah, tough territory. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote or or called or tweeted any of this. We had a lot of fun fielding all your questions and and once again, Bobby, like you said, thank you to everyone just for for sticking around being here with us on this ride it really means the world to us that people actually tune in and listen to this and y'all are as much a part of this as as us we we really couldn't do this show without without the input and the support of everyone so from the bottom of our hearts thank you all we'll be back next week with a slightly more normal episode thanks everyone Everybody, uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya.